0: This episode is sponsored by Robin. If you're still using dictation or scribe services to do your clinical documentation, it's time for you to meet Robin. Robin develops all the notes and codes for your patient visits behind the scenes so you can truly focus on patient care. Robin's documentation is also more complete thanks to its one-of-a-kind smart assistant device. With Robin, you even get protection for your whole practice, including medical liability defense and audit support. Robin is the only documentation solution tailored for orthopedic surgeons. It's also the most affordable. Visit robin.co slash orthobullets to learn more. That's robin.co slash orthobullets. This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of ossification of the posterior longitudinal ligament, or OPLL, from the spine section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary ossification posterior longitudinal ligament is an idiopathic cervical spine anomaly that is a common cause of cervical myelopathy in the Asian population. Diagnosis is made with lateral radiographs of the cervical spine. CT scan is the study of choice to determine the extent and thickness of the ossification. Treatment is observation in patients with minimal symptoms. Surgical decompression followed by stabilization is indicated for patients with myelopathy. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, As far as demographics, ossification of the posterior longitudinal ligament is most common but not limited to Asian people. Men are more commonly affected than women. In terms of anatomic location, the most common levels are C4 to C6. And keep in mind that 95% of ossification is located in the cervical spine. Moving on to etiology, the pathophysiology is unclear, but it's likely multifactorial. Associated factors include diabetes, obesity, a high salt, low meat diet, poor calcium absorption, and mechanical stress on the posterior longitudinal ligament. Moving on to presentation, in terms of symptoms, patients are often asymptomatic. However, when there are symptoms, exam findings can be consistent with symptoms of myelopathy, and therefore physical exam in some patients may have findings of myelopathy. Moving on to imaging, in terms of radiographs, the lateral radiograph often shows ossification of the PLL. It's also important to evaluate the sagittal alignment of the cervical spine, on lateral radiographs. In terms of MRI, this is the study of choice to evaluate for spinal cord compression. CT is the study of choice to delineate bony anatomy of the ossified posterior longitudinal ligament. Treatment of ossification of posterior longitudinal ligaments can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes observation, which is indicated only in the patient with mild symptoms who are not candidates for surgery. Operative options include direct or indirect surgical decompression followed by stabilization. This is indicated in most patients with significant symptoms. Now let's go over some surgical techniques in a bit more detail. So interbody fusion without decompression is indicated in patients with dynamic myelopathy. The theory behind the technique is that by removing motion at stenotic levels, trauma to the cord is eliminated. Moving on to anterior corpectomy with or without OPLL resection, this is indicated in the patient with a kyphotic cervical spine where posterior decompression is not an option. As far as the technique, one method to avoid a dural tear is to perform a corpectomy instead of removing the OPLL from the dura, allow it to, quote, float in the corpectomy site. Finally, moving on to a posterior laminoplasty or laminectomy with fusion. As far as indications, this is only affected in the lordotic spine as it allows the spinal cord to drift away from the anterior compression of the OPLL. This is considered a safer and preferable approach due to the difficulty of resecting the OPLL off the dura from an anterior approach. In terms of the technique, the fusion should be performed with the laminectomy to avoid post-laminectomy kyphosis. In terms of complications, there is a risk of postoperative OPLL growth. Finally, let's end this review session talking about complications of ossification of the posterior longitudinal ligament. And the main one to know is recurrence of OPLL. Recurrence is reduced with complete resection or leaving the OPLL to float in the corpectomy site. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question, which of the following is a known risk factor for ossification of the posterior longitudinal ligament? And the choices are one, European ancestry, two, hyperinsulinemia, three, female gender, 4, HLA-B27 positive, and 5, traumatic brain injury. The correct answer to this question is 2, hyperinsulinemia. So hyperinsulinemia with or without the presence of clinical diabetes is a known risk factor for this condition. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, European ancestry is incorrect, as actually East Asian ancestry is associated with an increased incidence of OPLL, which is cited at a prevalence as high as 4% among patients with cervical spine pathology. That is nearly twice that of North Americans and Europeans. Answer three, female gender is incorrect, as males are actually affected nearly twice as often as females, though gender has not been shown to be prognostic of disease progression. Answer four, HLA-B27 positive is incorrect as HLA-B27 histocompatibility complexes has been associated with the development of ankylosing spondylitis, but not OPLL. Finally, answer five, traumatic brain injury is incorrect as traumatic brain injury is associated with the development of heterotopic ossification, but has not been linked to OPLL. To quickly review, OPLL is a condition characterized by pathologic replacement of the posterior longitudinal ligament, or PLL, with lamellar bone. It is classically associated with cervical myelopathy in East Asian populations, cited at a relatively higher incidence than among Europeans. OPLL is thought to be initiated by vascular infiltration, hypertrophy, and eventual endochondral ossification of the PLL. Genetic links and medical comorbidities have been implicated as risk factors for the development of OPLL and include hyperparathyroidism, hypophosphatemic rickets, hyperinsulinemia, even in the absence of clinical diabetes, and obesity. Males are additionally affected twice as often as females. BMI and hyperinsulinemia have further both been shown to correlate directly not only with the development, but with the extent of the disease. Surgical decompression is indicated with progressive or severe neurologic symptoms. Mizuno et al. evaluated the surgical outcomes in 121 patients with OPLO who were treated with either direct anterior decompression or indirectly via posterior laminoplasty. The authors reported a high success rate and found that clinical improvement correlated with severity of the myelopathy. They recommend an anterior approach with partial corpectomy for excision of one or two-level OPLL and expansive laminoplasty for multi-level compressive myelopathy. And moving on to the final question, Which of the following levels of the spine is most frequently involved in ossification of the posterior longitudinal ligament, or OPLO? And the choices are 1, C1, C2, 2, C4 to C6, 3, T4 to T8, 4, T10 to L1, and 5, L2 to L5. The correct answer to this question is 2, C4 to C6. So OPLL is a cause of spinal stenosis and myelopathy most frequently seen in the Asian population but affects other populations as well. Men are affected more often than women and the peak age at onset is the sixth decade of life. It is often associated with other conditions such as diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis or DISH and ankylosing spondylitis. The levels most frequently involved are C4, C5, and C6. More than 95% of the ossification is localized in the cervical spine. please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.